The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Week in Review. I'd like to thank you folks for tuning in and joining us this week here at the Crude Life. We take our best interviews of the week, put them together in a nice, neat little package for you, and that way, in less than 60 minutes, you got a week's worth of interviews. Of course, if you want to check out the entire interview, you can go to thecrudelife.com and check out the all the interviews in their entirety. Also, we have a daily podcast if you'd like to check it out. By the way, daily means Monday through Thursday with a week in review. So that's how we define daily here at The Crude Life. But check it out, folks. We invite you to go to thecrudelife.com and check out all of our interviews throughout the week and our news and etc. But we appreciate it very much choosing this radio station to listen to us here at The Crude Life. Maybe you've downloaded one of our uh, files from the internet or live streaming on the internet. Appreciate it very much. Just the other day, Steve Harvey is now giving me news in between gas stations. I see Ron Burgundy, the fictional character, has a podcast. And and uh, Mario Lopez from Saved by the Bell. I mean, everybody and their mother and their sister and their pet has a podcast. And so we appreciate it very much to listening to this radio program and podcast here at The Crude Life. Now, Let's take a look at what we have this week in store for you. We're going to check in with actually Jim Willis with the Marcellus Drilling News. Of course, he's been tracking oil and gas for quite a number of years. He's an expert in the industry. He's worked in the media. And so we like to have him on from time to time to talk about a number of different things, including what the vibe is out there. But we're going to talk a little bit about uh, John Hess's comments that shale oil has peaked and global warming is real. Jim Willis with Marcellus Drilling News to talk about John Hess's comments this week. Also, Kirsten Jesperson with Mile High Employment Solutions to give us a rundown who's hiring where and what they're hiring for. Tiffany Steiner with API Dickinson as well as the Bach and Barbecue. You know, also she's with the uh, Petroleum Council membership as well. So I call her my Bakken commissioner. Pretty much anything to do with the Bakken, I start with her and she just directs me accordingly. Sometimes she, she ropes me into doing a few things too. So, And also, Terry Edom, the, the man, the myth, the legend, the author, the writer, the blogger, all that good stuff. He's up in Canada, but he's a, a expert, a writer, a blogger, an author. So he's a, a font of information so we will review his interview as well plus maybe a few surprises here today at the crude life weekend review i don't know about you folks but let's get right into it let's get with tiffany steiner with api dickinson talking about the gumbo cook-off coming up as well as a little bit on the bakken barbecue too tiffany steiner with api dickinson tiffany steiner api hey we fixed the levels all right thanks for joining Perfect. us here Tiffany Steiner. By the way, I have a nickname for you now. You're my commissioner of the Bakken because 
and ladies and gentlemen, she's the marketing coordinator plus other duties at the um, Petroleum Council in North Dakota and also running many things with API and Dickinson, including the gumbo cook-off, which we're going to talk about in just a second. But she's also the co-founder, co-chair when it comes to the Bach and Barbecue as well. So I, pretty much anything that has to do with the Bach and I just send, send people to Tiffany Steiner or just start there because you got your pulse in so many different directions. Has anybody ever pointed that out to you besides probably you and your secret strategy to take over the Bakken? <laughs> no, I just I enjoy it and that's why I do it. So. Actually, we were just talking with somebody today in Colorado about the Bakken barbecue, how impressed they were. Uh, they were there in the beginning. And, you know, really it was a couple, a, a, a couple girls in their early twenties that really wanted to do some good and raise some money. And they saw an opportunity. And I was just at the last, last year's check donation of six figures. And, uh, before we get into the gumbo and API, have you had a chance to reflect a little bit about what you guys have done with that Bakken barbecue? I, I know that, you know, it's, it's easy to pat yourself on the back and it's easy to, uh, take a look at all the good that you've done, but have you guys actually patted yourself on the back and realized what you've accomplished? I think Jackie and I are just so lucky that something that we started eight years ago now has turned into something like this, and we're able to help out the community. Um, every time we talk about the Bach and Barbecue, we kind of get chills, and we get excited every time we work on it. And you know, I think this year is going to be pretty large, and I think it's going to be a fun day. Beach theme this year, right? It is a beach theme this year. Well, I'm excited for that because I, I've been using the phrase shale play USA for like five years now, and I'm just actually seven years. And uh, I kind of feel like breaking that phrase out this year because I've seen some of the decoration and some of the, uh, I should say some of the graphics and some of the concepts. So it's definitely going to look like a beach party. That's for sure. I know a lot of companies are already planning their decorations and their food. So we're quite a few months away um have over 18 companies already signed up okay great uh same location right the west river uh energy ice uh, rink uh parking lot basically yes on june 19th all right so that's june 19th the bach and barbecue transitioning indoors now at the west river is it the west river ice rink it's the west river ice center ice center okay it's kind of a community center too for a lot of different things correct including the the gumbo cook-off now this year this is the first year for the community center and that's a great sign that shows that there's still consistent growth for the is it the 23rd annual did i get my notes right it is the 23rd annual which is pretty exciting yeah, so let's give a rundown of the 23rd annual API Gumbo Cookoff, March 28th. So we will. We did move it this year. This is our second year moving it. Uh, we needed more space so we can have more teams and more people come. So we're pretty excited for that. It is ten dollars at the door. All those proceeds go to local charities and college college scholarships. Uh, I think last year we gave out twenty four thousand dollars in scholarships. Um, so that's pretty exciting as well. We have um, live music from Thunder Road starting at 8.30. And we have just a bunch of different um, trophies and door prizes and a 50-50 raffle. I think the winner always takes home around 1500 bucks. So that's kind of a nice little end-of-the-night treat for someone. Are you guys still having people, I guess, booths and, and vendors and cookers and that sort of thing? Are you, are you um, capped out or are you, are you looking for anybody? 
we're always looking for more teams. Right now, I think we have about eight signed up. Um, so we're just kind of waiting on some more teams to come. I know we're trying to get new teams because for so long we couldn't have new teams because of the space limit, you know, limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're able to open it up to new companies. And so far we have about half new companies, half old companies. So that's exciting to see people willing and excited to join us this year. And what is the, do you guys have a grand prize? I mean, is there, is there a tro, a traveling trophy? Is it just, you know, is it a congeniality award and you get your social media post or, um, I know you mentioned that there's, you know, scholarships and, and that sort of thing, but, uh, you know, like the cook-off winner, so to speak, because I, hey, I've, <laughs> this is embarrassing because I've been a judge before, but I can't remember what <laughs> what the winners, what I voted for. <laughs> they do get some pretty cool trophies, and they're not traveling trophies because they like to have them at their office. Um, and then we have appetizers during the day for the cooking team. It's kind of a fun little hurrah between us. Um, and then they get a gift basket as well with some fun goodies in it. And the appetizer winner was uh, Gravity Oil Field Services last year, correct? Correct. Yep. And uh, again, the appetizers there for the cookers, and it's not for the public, or is it? No, the appetizers is just between the co- um, companies cooking. Yes, it's just that's a what fun I way for them to get more involved, and it's kind of a neat way to see what they can come up with because everything has to be cooked on site. And that was Tiffany Steiner with API Dickinson, the Gumbo Cook-Off, as well as the Bakken Barbecue. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is The Crude Life Week in Review. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Kirsten Jesperson with Mile High Employment Solutions. Kirsten Jesperson, Vice President of Mile High Employment Solutions. Mile High Employment Solutions, yet you have a 701 cell phone and a Richardson, North Dakota address, which is out in the Bakken, and a 720 cell phone. Sorry, a 701... Okay, Mile High, you, there's a Denver and then a North Dakota. So talk to me about your company and you a little bit on how you uh, have both Colorado roots and North Dakota, I guess, present. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So our company actually started down in Denver about 35 years ago. We're a family-owned and operated direct hire agency out there. Um, I've actually been recruiting in the industry for about 10 years um, and about two years ago, um, I decided to make the jump and relocate to North Dakota and establish an office here in the area. Um, we've had a large presence in the Bakken previously, um, but now we've really developed more of a local footprint, um, and we're recruiting a lot more for local companies in the area. So we've actually, we partner with several different companies, you know, typically across the Rocky Mountain region to help them attract and retain top-level talent for some of their hard-to-fill positions. 
Um, one of the things that we deal with a lot in North Dakota is obviously the low unemployment rate, um, the high number of positions that need to be filled in the area, and some of the challenges that the companies are facing here, um, you know, whether it be conditions or housing or just simply not being able to attract enough candidates to be able to fill those positions. Um, so we partner with them to help streamline some of those processes and really help drive the candidates to these positions. Can I ask you a question about that? Absolutely. Okay, so um, Governor Burgum has been driving around the state and flying around the state and walking around the state and biking around the state talking about how much, you know, we have all these jobs and mm-hmm. done a very good job of that. But those jobs don't seem to be being filled. And at least at the pace that is satisfactory to, you know, different people. And you're kind of in the middle of it there because your job is to, you know, get people found and that sort of thing. Are you hearing anything back as why those jobs are not being filled as much as because, I mean, the governor, he is he is presenting a lot of energy and enthusiasm. And you would think that that would, you know, equate to to a, a quick I guess, absorption and, and, and that sort of thing of the jobs. Are they, is it North Dakota? Is the wages? Is it uh, training? I, I know a lot of these jobs require new training and that sort of things. But um, you, do you understand the question, I guess? I'm not trying to be flippant or, or controversial. I'm just, I'm looking for what's going on. <laughs> Well, I think a lot of the struggles, again, you know, obviously we are dealing with some of the lowest unemployment rates, you know, in this country right now. National average is about 3.5%. North Dakota is sitting around 2.5%. Now, that being said, obviously we have a very tight pool that we're trying to pull from. Additionally, we're trying to pull people that are going to be going to somewhat remote areas. Um, So when you're looking at the challenges of housing, um, you know, again, of the conditions that these candidates are working in, Cost of housing, you know, is obviously starting to increase in some of these areas as well. Um, But one of the things that I think does play a role in it is the wages, like you said. Um, I think people are still searching for those oil field wages, you know, back in the boom days. And the industry has changed. There's been such a significant shift in the industry. You know, a lot of companies would really prefer to be able to hire local talent but the long and short of it is that that local talent sometimes doesn't exist. Um, so we really are casting, you know, a very broad net across the entire Rocky Mountain region to try to attract people to coming to this area. Now, on the back side of it, a lot of these companies have really started to develop programs to assist with the relocation, you know, of these candidates and their families. What kind of resources can we give them, you know, to establish their children in the school system? You know, what kind of resources can we provide to significant others to help them get established in the area? And I think as they start to focus a little bit more on, you know, making, a, you know, a good fit for these candidates as far as not so much just the job itself, but what that, you know, what their life is going to look like when they get to North Dakota, I think that's really where some of these companies have shifted their focus of, you know, what do we need to do to attract and retain these people once they get here. Um, You know, again, you have high turnover rates in the industry as a whole because you have people that will come to work in the oil field. Um, You know, they get here and they're not prepared for the conditions that they're dealing with, Um, you know, so they'll in turn go back home. Um, I think that's one thing that we struggle with more here in North Dakota 
than we do in a lot of other regions that we deal with. How about in Colorado? Obviously, they've gone through some uh, political um, issues and, you know, mile high, it's right in the name and and you're from that area. So are you are you finding um, different challenges there or are, are there, you know, is it not really impacting you in that way as a recruiter? Um, I would say we are absolutely facing different challenges down there. Just with all of the regulations that are coming down the pipeline, um, more restrictions in the industry, it's making it harder for companies to operate in that basin. Um, We've actually been experiencing a lot of client companies that have, you know, either looked at pulling resources out of Colorado and moving into other basins, Um, you know, other companies that they're just going to hit it as hard as they can between now and, you know, hopefully the end of the year and get as many permits in place as they can before some of these regulations start coming down on them. All right. It's definitely posed a challenge because, again, you know, Colorado in itself is an interesting area just with the influx of people that have moved to that area in general, um, you know, in the industry out there. It's not – I wouldn't say – I, I guess I would say long and short of it is it's a lot slower than it was just due to these restrictions and regulations that they're imposing. So let's get to some of the good news that's going on because there are people that are still working and North Dakota still putting out 1.2, 1.3 million barrels a day. Texas is putting out, you know, their 3 million plus barrels. And Absolutely. well, Weld County seems to still be, you know, producing some stuff in Colorado. So, uh, have you got uh, some positions that, that you'd like to ma- maybe highlight, you know, maybe give us a two, three different uh, positions that your firm is, is looking for and, you know, give the audience a sample of what is out there. I mean, because yeah. we, we keep hearing about these jobs, but at the same time, you know, again, I, I go back to, boy, it just it seems they'd be, they'd be lapped up. So let's, um, get, you know, get, get, give these uh, dogs a bone out there and something nice and meaty and juicy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I would say the biggest need that we have here in North Dakota, in Colorado, you know, whatever basin I'm working in, my biggest need is going to be in CDL drivers, whether it's to haul water, to haul crude, um, you know, winch truck drivers. We also deal with a lot of service companies, so cement operators, um, frack operators. Um, I deal with more specialty positions such as DOT specialists, HSE. Um, So we have a very diverse need for employees. Um, Same thing goes for Colorado. Um, You know, I have skilled trades, you know, welding positions, mechanic positions, um, and again, a huge need for CDL drivers, um, and additionally down to more labor positions, you know, roustabouts, riggers, swampers. So those positions that don't necessarily require a ton of industry experience, that is more of a ground level opportunity for somebody who's really looking to get into the industry. So those entry level positions are out there. They can be harder to come by. Um, A lot of companies are requiring some sort of oil field experience, you know, when it comes to these CDL positions or the more specialty positions. But like I said, the entry level positions are there. Um, it just takes, you know, again, finding the companies that, that are going through those growth phases right now. And, and it's very interesting to me to see, you know, coming out of the first of the year, the amount of growth that some of the clients that I deal with are projecting for this year. So I do think it's going to be a very good year for the industry. I think we're going to see positive, um, you know, increases throughout production. Um, and, and again, as we start to see that, 
we require the people to be able to support that work. Um, so there's definitely opportunity available out there. And, you know, we work just as diligently with our candidates to match them with a position that's going to be in the best interest of them and their family, um, you know, to get them into something that will be long term and provide that stability. And that was Kirsten Jesperson with Mile High Employment Solutions. To listen to the full length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Crude Life Week in Review. Well, you can be my little pony. I'll be your big stud. You can be Bugs Bunny. I'll be Elmer Fudd. I'll follow you. I think you know the way. If we were all pigs, we'd be getting dirty. We're kind of like that. We're kind of like that girl. We're kind of like that. We're kind of like that. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Make Energy Great Again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make Energy Great Again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make Energy Great Again. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, the Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Food Life and Weekend Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we talk with Terry Edom, the energy author, writer, and blogger, the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity, writer at the BOE Report, and the blogger for his own blog, Public Energy Number One. The man, the myth, the legend, the author, the writer, and the blogger. This is Terry Edom. Hello, it's Terry Edom here, the author of The End of Fossil Fuel Insanity. Excellent. Thank you for joining us here today. Also a writer for the BOE Report and a blogger for his very own public energy number one. Are you still doing those two things too? I am, as much as I can. So first of all, before before we get into the book, go ahead and give yourself a plug for the three different uh, sites you do for You're an author, so you get your book available at Amazon and also bookstores. And then you've got yep. your BOE report, which is a, uh, a news outlet. And then you've got your blog, which for some reason, you're, you're a blog, man. You, you, you made it through the blogging graveyard, which you know that. I mean, what was it? Nine out of 10, nine, 99 out of 100 blogs are in the graveyard somewhere. So, Yeah, that's right. Most people don't carry on with them. So I guess I just, uh, uh, I guess I either care or I'm interested or some combination of the two. 
I guess it, what bugs me most is the energy ignorance out there. And, uh, yeah, it's just too annoying to let slip past so, character flaw of mine. Public energy number one, talk to me about that. So I started that. Uh, that's where I started writing back in 2014, and it was basically just to uh, answer questions for friends. Um, that, I've always liked writing, and it was just kind of an outlet that I could write, and I would uh, people would say, um, I get a call from a friend or something outside the oil patch saying, what's fracking all about, or is it really dangerous or whatever? So I just write up an article and send it to, not even an article, just like a, a answer and try, try and expand it in a way that's readable because even a lot of people will say that they're interested in fracking, but they really aren't. They just, I mean, once you get into the weeds of what it actually is, you, their eyes glaze over pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So I would try and make it readable for them. And then um, I would get these feedback from people saying, hey, this is great. Can I, do you mind if I send it around or you made it understandable or whatever? And I enjoyed doing it, so then I um, I just thought I'd put it on a um, on a blog, which, and I had to do it anonymously to start with because I was a spokesman for a pipeline company at the time who wouldn't have appreciated me being a spokesman for anything else. So so I, it was like my nighttime hobby. I would go answer these questions, post them online. I would enjoy writing them, and, and then, like you said, most blogs fail because people just aren't. Uh, it takes a lot of work and. Um, but I liked it, and then luckily it just started building, and then um, I started writing for the BOE report, which is uh, an industry trade site, so that's a little bit more hardcore oil and gas, and we get into more issues about that, that impact the industry. Uh, and then, then the book just kind of flowed out of all of that, too. It just, I kept getting requests from people saying, yeah, we, I like how you write about energy and you make it relatable. How do we make this relatable for for more and more people. So I wrote the book kind of from the viewpoint of, uh, or, or for people that don't know anything about energy, just try and get the context out there to them. People get fed a lot of stuff in the in the news and the media that's just profoundly untrue about, for example, how easy it's going to be to go all renewable or something. And there's a lot of vested interests that, that push that team, and it, it's just not even true. And I wouldn't care if people, I mean, there's a lot of things that people... Uh, believe out there that are wrong but this is impacting our policy and we see see that you see it there we see it here where our industry is under siege um people are trying to to wipe out the hydrocarbon industry and and but it's the fuel that keeps everyone alive and it's it's just this paradox which uh it's just it's almost insanity which is ties to the title of my book but it's happening and and we can't let people get away with it Terry Edom is with us, the man, the myth, the legend, the author, writer, and blogger. And going through his kind of his professional passion, which has led him to where he's at today, it's one of the many reasons why we like to check in with Mr. Terry Edom here in The Crude Life is, number one, he's he's put his, his money where his mouth is. His, his hobby has turned into a nice side profession, which turned into uh, a profession, which has turned into a great lifestyle for him. The other reason is he lives in Canada, so he's got a different international <laughs> perspective on it, and it's not just for your accent. You're covered, oh, you know, about and boat. You know, it's we, we like to make fun of your accent, but at the same time, that's you know, you, fine. You, you you've got a very socialized uh, lifestyle up there, a lot more than the United States. No, don't we? So I like to compare yeah, and yeah. contrast some of the inter- international energy things, and that's actually one of the things I wanted to bring you on today about was. This article I got that I sent you that talks about just really some of the woes that uh, 
Europe is having when it comes to renewable energy, this this aggressive crash course that that they seem to be on to get on renewables and off fossil fuelables, right? And I I don't even know if that Germany, which is the poster child, even got to a third. I thought I saw 30%, but I for some reason I thought it might have been under 30. So just being generous, let's say they got a third of their grid to renewables. That wasn't sustainable. They had to turn on the coal plants and it also made their energy grid or I'm sorry, their energy bills three to four times what they were already paying. So there was really not a lot of positive that came out of it. And in the headline, it said, Canada, you're next. And so I thought, okay, this will be fun. But in that first line, it said um, energy poverty. And to me, that's just socialism. I, I, to me, if, if, when, when you call something energy poverty that is done by regulation, because there's a lot of that, options yeah. out there. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, that, I, that's exactly what it is. Oh, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's entirely created by regulation. It's like you said, it's there. It's a problem of their own making. Well, and Germany is so ironic as a poster child. They had a lot of power from nuclear which is as green as it gets. I mean, some people don't like the waste, but you can't deny that the power generated by nuclear is clean. And for whatever reason, they decided to get rid of nuclear. They panicked and, and said, we have to close all our nuclear plants. And and then th- this is where the ignorance part comes in. And then the, the people that had the politicians' ears said, well, let's just go to wind and solar. That's how you replace renu- or, uh, nuclear. And, oh, yeah, there's that dirty old coal in the background, but we'll get rid of that, too. And as it turns out, well, it's not so easy. And they still get a quarter, I think, from coal. And um, and they've gone full on into this wind and solar push. And and it, it has, as you pointed out, or you showed me in that article, which is true, the, the costs skyrocket for the average citizen. The reliability of the grid goes down because now you're dependent on an intermittent source, which you can't count on, and you still need a backup supply of reliable power. And, and the, the costs of um, – there's very few articles that seem to make the news internationally, especially about the actual cost that people face. And, and this energy poverty uh, yardstick here, that's just fascinating, the percentage of people that, that spend uh, – I forget what the – a significant component of their income on power. Uh, it, it's huge across the states. Some of those are poor EU countries. Uh, you mentioned it's coming to Canada. It's kind of ironic because in Ontario, our biggest province here, which is mainly a manufacturing place, but it's a huge, or their economy is manufacturing based. But they had a green government come in about uh, 10 years ago or so, and they um, decided to go all green too. And the uh, I, I found another article talking about how the uproar that happened there. People's bills, electrical bills doubled. Some of the rural areas, uh, some places were seeing their electricity bills at $1,000 a month. And and that was go- that was gone up like fivefold from what it had been before. And that's thanks to going to to go to uh, green energy. And and Ontario is blessed with uh, tons of hydroelectric power. They've got dams and and a lot of that. But uh, but the, the European thing is so stark that this is what happens when you try and push it without understanding all the second and third order consequences. My website is uh, Public Energy Number One. And the uh, book is available. The book is The End of Fossil Fuel Insanity, and it's available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble online. And uh, it was written for you know, this very purpose. What we've been talking about, just to to demystify this this process for people or this stalemate that we're in, where we're we're, we're actively trying to kill off 
an industry that keeps us all alive, which should be, and I think it is nonsensical to a lot of people. I think a lot of people are kind of stopped in their tracks by going, wait a minute, like, how does this work? I know I'm hearing this message in one year about how we're all going to die because of uh, fossil fuels. And at the same time, I can see that I use them every day. So I, how, how do we get here? How do we, how, how can I make sense of this? And that's, those are the people that I wrote the book for, the ones that are, that, that are curious about that question. So. And that was Terry Edom with the BOE Report, public energy number one, and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies. This is The Crude Life Week in Review. To get your mind blown Mind blown, your mind blown I'll show you something that's never been shown The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you. And the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to The Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we talk with Jim Willis with Marcellus Drilling News. Jim Willis, Marcellus Drilling News. Boy, those levels look really good. Mines are a little hot, so provolone, just uh, turn that mic down a little bit. All right, thank you very much. Jim Willis, Marcellus Drilling News, joining us here today and I wanted to bring him on to get an update, of course, from the East Coast and the Marcellus area, the Marcellus Utica, just, you know, a nice up-to-date what's going on as, as we are a couple months into 2020. But as I'm looking at his website, I'm seeing an article that is headlined, John Hess says, shale oil close to peak, global warming is real. And, uh, you know, we just talked about Hess yesterday on how he said, you know, it's plateaued and um, they're ramping up some of their projections. And and we actually spun it into a different conversation about rig counts, how we have to revamp rig counts. And I'd like to get back to the rig count thing in just a second. But uh, talk to me a little bit about that. John Hess says shale oil close to peak and 
global warming is real. Is it is it coming off of that plateau comment that he said? Yeah, I, I believe it is. So he he was. Uh, it's nice to be on your program, Jason. I appreciate it. Um, John was speaking yesterday in Houston um, at an Argus event, a crude a crude event that they host. And, um, and I came across a couple of different articles, and the, the one I happened to pull from was uh, a Reuters article um, talking about uh, his comments at that event. And, and it, and it, it kind of struck me for a couple of reasons. So, you know, I write about uh, largely the Marcellus and Utica in the Northeast, um, which covers you know, basically Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia. And, uh, and it's largely about natural gas, although we, we do some liquids, you know, we have natural gas liquids. We have some oil, some, some crude uh, that's produced out of our basins as well. But um, when I saw that, you know, those comments from him, I mean, he's, he is, uh, he's, a, he's a big deal, right? I mean, Hess is a, is a huge company, and they have big operations in the Bakken. And so when I see someone like, a, a, you know, a John Hess um, talking about, you know, uh, that shale oil in particular across the different plays, uh, the Bakken and the Permian in particular, is uh, close to peaking and is going to be heading, you know, in the downward direction, um, that kind of catches my attention um, for a, a lot of different reasons. Um, but, you know, he's a respected uh, industry figure, and we, you know, as much as I'd like to, I can't just dismiss what he says, um, because he's, you know, he's dialed into this stuff. So, so my, my take on this was, and, and the thing that I focused on were a few of, of the comments uh, that he said, um, and he said, you know, one of the quotes was, uh, U.S. shale is important, but it's not the next Saudi Arabia. Um, and uh, I saw that. Gee, yeah. You know, gee, it's like, well, we're producing more than Saudi Arabia, so <laughs> it's coming from shale. So uh, what does he really mean by that comment? You know, so that, that kind of intrigued me. And he also said, essentially, I'm putting this in my own words, but he said that he's going to drill all he can in the Bakken, you know, over the next few years. And he's going to use that money so he can buy up offshore oil plays because that's where the real action is in the future. Talk to me about what's going on in Pennsylvania and the Marcellus and Utica. Sure. Well, um, so in Pennsylvania, I mean, it, it's, it's an interesting uh, dichotomy. Um, I mean, if, if, you know, if, if we want to talk about the election, you know, if, if the election were held today because of uh, most Democrat candidates' words about banning fracking, um, you know, there's a lot of angst amongst the uh, the Democrats in Pennsylvania because they know that they're you know they're not going to win the state. It's not going to go blue, or you know, with uh, with that kind of talk. So even though you have those pockets, like we said in Philly and Pittsburgh, that are that you know tilt to the left, um, the rest of the state is, uh, I would say, is pretty much um, pro fracking. You know, pro shale. They see the benefits, um, especially in the northeastern part of the state, which is not you know. I'm, so where I live and write 
is in the Binghamton, New York area. So I always joke that I work behind enemy lines um, because, you know, the state here has, uh, you know, at least for the time being, has banned fracking. Um, but, you know, 15 miles from where I'm, I'm sitting right now, across the border is Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. And in Susquehanna County, um, it's, you know, some, uh, th there's, well, the example I always use is uh, there's uh, one company, Cabot Oil and Gas. I mean, there's more companies that drill there, but Cabot Oil and Gas. And that was Jim Willis with the Marcellus Drilling News. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. And that's going to do it for today's The Crude Life Week in Review. I'd like to thank everybody who has been interviewed here on The Crude Life. But in the past week, Jim Willis with Marcellus Drilling News, as well as Tiffany Steiner with the API Dickinson Gumbo Cook-Off and the Bakken Barbecue, Kirsten Jesperson with the Mile High Employment Solutions, and Terry Edom with the BOE Report, Public Energy Number 1, and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. To listen to any of those interviews or to check out other past exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Also, we invite you to join our social media. We have LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, even the Twitters. All that is available at thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media tab. We'd like to thank you folks for tuning in. We'll be back next week on this radio station at this time. And if you happen to be downloading one of our podcasts or checking us out, streaming us on the interweb, we appreciate that very much because we know there is a million, gajillion, bazillion different places to get your content, your shows, your information in today's world. Just the other day, I've said this before and I'll say it again, Steve Harvey from Family Feud has now given me news and information well, I'm getting my gas pumped at the station. You never know how you're going to get your information or where it's going to come from or who's going to deliver it. So we thank you from the bottom of our heart here at The Crude Life for tuning in, checking out our website, following our social media, like, sharing, doing all that different stuff, engaging with us here at The Crude Life. From the staff here at The Crude Life Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember Energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. Crude Life is sponsored in part by Make Energy Great Again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make Energy Great Again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make Energy Great Again. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, 
the Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 